Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Second Success Podcast with me, Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. And if you're not doing so already, please do remember to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast streaming platform. Now to start off, a little bit of gratitude. Do you know what my business owning and entrepreneurial coaching clients say to me? Thank you. A thank you for supporting them through this difficult year. A thank you for being there to talk to. A thank you for challenging them not to give up. A thank you for helping them to think deeper, to be more creative and be more innovative. A thank you for encouraging them to understand the importance of balancing life. And a thank you for believing in them and continuously coaching them to succeed. I've been overwhelmed, I guess, with the amount of thanks I have been receiving, and it validates what I do in terms of my coaching, and I'm very grateful. And I must say thank you to all of them for being so committed in their coaching journeys with me, especially during what has been a very challenging year. And straight on to today's guest, my good friend Johnny Pallick. Johnny's the founder and CEO of the international branding and marketing firm Mantra Media and luxury retail brand Atelier Japan. With over 20 years' experience in branding, marketing and strategy, Johnny has consulted with the European Parliament, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, British Members of Parliament, the NHS, the UKTI and a plethora of others. He's featured on Good Morning Britain, the BBC Political Debates, BBC Radio, Osaka Radio, Asahi Shimbun and many others. Over the last 10 years, Johnny has had his strategies implemented by governmental, private and charity sectors in North America, South Africa, Western Europe, Southeast Asia and Australia. Let's hear what he had to say about success and his second success. So welcome, Johnny. Uh, Thank you very much for joining the Second Success podcast and welcome you here. Thanks for having me, Rakesh. Looking forward to it. Brilliant. Thank you. As I introduce you, I mentioned that you're the CEO and founder of Mantra Media. And um, for me, your success is synonymous with Mantra Media. And it's been hugely successful, especially during lockdown, where a lot of businesses seem to have uh, suffered. So you know, before we go into it all, I'd love for you to tell everybody what Mantra Media is and what is it that you do. Mantra Media is a global branding and communications firm based between the UK and Japan, but we are also in North America, South Africa, Western Europe, Southeast Asia and Australia. And we deliver everything from governmental level, national, international communication pieces and campaigns, all the way down to working with SMEs and consultants. Uh, We deliver things like 2017, we changed the face of uh, mentorship in British schools. We did a national campaign to diversify mentorship. Um, In 2018, we created the most engaged online community for veterans worldwide. Um, Earlier this year, we worked with Together Women on a national campaign to create visibility around some of the trappings and abuse that can happen in certain communities. You know, we do a lot of really big impact stuff that is aimed at really changing people's lives and creating positive impact in the world. Alongside helping businesses grow and scale, which we, we've helped mm-hmm. many businesses do very quickly over the last uh, nearly six years now. And I guess this is why I have an affinity towards you, is being the businessman that you are, you're probably one of, uh, one of the most humble people I know. However, it's, your, it's that giving back. It's the social element to it. 
And you know, I know a lot of companies started doing that and looking at the wider picture, bigger picture of what, what we offer as value rather than just about making money. And I remember us having this conversation when we had the first lockdown uh, towards the end of March, beginning of April, just to see how things were going. And we talked about actually for a company right now, rather than worrying about too much of earning, but more about looking after your clients and making sure they're okay. And I remember first and foremost, that was what you were doing. And it really impressed me back then as well. So I've got to give you kudos for that. Thank you. Uh, it means a lot. It's, it's living our values and living our purpose. Yeah, and exactly. It, it's, you know, and, and the thing is, it's not rocket science to me. You know, you give back to society, you make a difference in the world. It helps people's lives and things inevitably come back. I mean, the, the amount of press that we received this summer um, and the pinnacle obviously being, you know, with a write-up in Forbes magazine. Saw that, about, yeah. For us, it, it just goes to show that if you, if you, you know, your intention is positive and you're living your values, the impact you can create is exponential, which will come back to you. I mean, that's something I've, I understand now. I didn't before. And a lot of people don't. So where, where does that come from? I don't think it's innate in people. I mean, you say it, it just makes sense. And yes, it does make sense once you realise it. Where does that realisation come from? And where, where, how did it happen with you? So I think it, I think it comes from my upbringing. So I, I grew up um, in a very difficult area with lots and lots of challenges that have been documented in, in lots of uh, radio and television mm. interviews and newspapers and things. Um, and I think struggling with um, challenges of systemic and, you know, uh, you know, abuse in different ways mm. um, and being ostracized based on class, well, mm. um, you know, being, being a working class kid growing up on a council estate in a school that was predominantly middle class was, I was obviously treated very differently, obviously, I was treated very differently. Mm. So there was this inbuilt sense of injustice that I had. Just from being a kid, I knew that, you know, all the all the 80s cartoons were all about justice and, you know, <laughs> and He-Man and uh, yeah. She-Ra, all that kind of stuff. And it was all about, you know, treating each other equally and not mm. judging each other and trying to help one another. Uh, in my real life, I noticed that uh, I was treated differently for things that just weren't important, you know, uh, having mm. a foreign last name, growing up on a council estate. There were various things that mm. unfortunately impacted the way I was treated by people. And I think for me, that cemented this drive of, well, actually, uh, we need to, everyone should be treated in the way they engage with the world rather mm. than where they come from. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think this idea of just treating people with respect and yeah. trying to create something good in the world comes from adversity. Yeah. I was going to say, was it doing to others as you're doing to yourself? I don't know what the saying is now. Is it a religious <laughs> saying from the Bible? I'm not sure, but it's true. I, I also say that, you know, treat others as you would be expected to treat yourself, you know, expect to be treated as well. So, and that isn't just in life, but in business as well. It's, you know, you treat people well, like you said, it comes around. And, uh, and it's definitely been my experience is, you know, I've offered out value, especially with, prospective clients or people that I would be interested in coaching, giving out value, whether it's sharing material, sharing knowledge, giving them some of my time. And sure enough, if, if, I, if they haven't become a client, they've definitely referred me 
because of that relationship mm. we've been able to build purely out of value, purely out of because that's what I enjoy doing without the without the first and foremost intention of earning money, more about creating a relationship. And for me, that's been important. However, I'm going to take you back. So, we, you know, we've touched upon your upbringing and, you know, I've mentioned to me the success of Mantra Media is synonymous with you. However, what was your first success? There was lots of things that I was very, very driven as a kid because um, uh, I, I didn't want to be, a, a, you know, I know what it's like to to grow up, you know, uh, with with lots of challenges. So for me, it was about trying to create a, a reality for myself uh, where I didn't have to suffer the the challenges that I had. And if I if I ever chose to have children. It would also be I don't want them to face the challenges that I, mm-hmm. I faced growing up. So there were lots of achievements that I had as a kid. Um, I remember when I was 13, I was the youngest ever person to get their, their IGT, their initial glider training courses. I, so I, and, and then I did my advanced. So I became mm-hmm. a glider pilot oh, wow. <laughs> at the age of 13. At the age of 13. Wow. Um, yeah. Amazing, and that was and that was because I studied diligently and I uh, and I worked really hard. I mean, from the age of about twelve, um, I had like three different paper rounds, um, and uh, you know, any money I made, I went mm. into achieving something. Okay. So I was a, I was in the air cadets and. Um, there were lots of things that I did that just, I was always, you know, top of my class for aircraft recognition, top of my class yeah. for training. Um, Johnny, where, where, where did that drive come from, though, to achieve? Is it because of maybe the, what you were ha- having to go through as a, you know, as a kid, uh, being in the school you're at? Was this an outlet for you? What was it? I think the drive was, at first, definitely desperation rather than inspiration. Mm. I think I wanted to so look you know not to go too much into my upbringing but um but we would but me and my siblings were never given kind of um mm. uh kind of an at-home education of that you know how do you manage finances how do you engage with the world how do you mm. you know um so things like office jobs and things like that were so alien to me i didn't know these things existed until i was uh, much older and uh but there was this there was this real drive uh that i would i would do whatever it takes to achieve and mm. it was only until i went to university that i started to realize that not everything is a fight mm. um that you don't have to fight your way to get anywhere mm. um and um it was that it was pure endurance. I mean, just to give you an example, when I was 14, uh, there was an award I got uh, through my training with the RAF, and it was uh, the award for outstanding endeavor. Um, <laughs> and they said it was a new, it was a new award, and they had to give it me because <laughs> because I, I just I, I was relentless in the amount of energy I put into things. Wow. Um, and it was just, I would never give up. You, um, I mentioned this to one of my guests on the podcast. The one theme I've seen with interviewing people who, you know, have achieved success and gone on to achieve other successes, they've fallen into two categories because I always ask them, what's driven them? Well, you know, what's been the driver? And I find that it's been two things. Either it's been sports, they've been good and they've been driven to achieve at sports, 
or it's been necessity. Yeah. There's, been, there's this been need to not get out of the world that they're in, but to prove themselves and to go on and achieve them. And when they're doing it, to do the best possible. Because, you know, without going into, like I said, without going into psychology and unraveling it, but the psychology of wanting to be, show to others that you are better or you can be as good as other people and you're not what other people are making you out to be. So, no, it's, it's really interesting and really, you know, uh, for me, it's it's very interesting and, and uh, to know that and understand that as well. So having become a glider pilot and, you know, getting these awards and achievements, going to university, what did you do when you graduated? So from the age of, so there's a couple of things there. From the age of about, so the, <laughs> when I was 10, actually, when I was, no, 10 years old, I had my first business. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my first business was uh, in the evenings and the weekend, I wrote like a, a, a weekly newsletter um, uh, at school. And I would sell it in the playground, uh, not for very much, but I would sell it uh, each issue for a playground in the playground. And it was quite a, you know, so I'd always had this kind of entrepreneurial spark. And uh, when I was 16, 17, I used to import guitars from Japan and America. Um, so at the time I was working in retail and I saved up what, of what money I had to buy guitars from abroad, play the exchange rate, and be able to sell them for double what wow. I bought them for. Um, and this continued for a few years before I went to university. So, and, and I taught guitar uh, because I, as you know, I was touring as a, a jazz musician for a few years. And I just kind of put everything into creating a, a lifestyle. So when I went to university, I was, all, I was always working like three or four jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I constantly worked. And uh, part of that is, you know, the only person that was going to be able to pay for my university is myself. So I I worked incredibly hard throughout that. So um, as soon as I came out of university, um, I'd already had a background in uh, online marketing. Mm. I'd already created huge communities for bands and, and musicians through MySpace. So mm. 21 years ago now. I'd helped uh, people kind of like socialites and uh, people in the fashion industry and things like that get huge online followings, uh, creating community development through MySpace. Mm. Um, that when I went to university, I could kind of go anywhere um, mm. and do anything. And um, so, so I, I ran my own businesses for a while, consulting and helping brands. And then I worked on some kind of uh, big projects. I worked with quite a few agencies. Mm. So at the time, uh, there were a lot of uh, agencies starting to crop up, digital agencies across the country. And uh, but they didn't really know social media. You mm. know, they they knew web development or CRM or da da. They had no idea how to use social media or how to use PPC when that started to become a thing. So um, a lot of that time was was consulting and working with lots of different people to to build brands and businesses online, which was mm -hmm. really novel at the time. And um, and back then as well, there was no real infrastructure within the British ecosystem to facilitate entrepreneurship. Okay. So I was kind of left to my own devices <laughs> to try and build these um, build these businesses. And uh, I had some fantastic successes and 
uh, helped a few brands uh, and bands, sorry, get get to places, and and then it kind of it kind of went from there. I hadn't realised that you'd toured as a jazz musician. So that was that was the one little surprise <laughs> in there for me. That's that's quite impressive, actually. That started from the age of so when I was when I was I think I must have been about ten years old, ten or eleven years old, okay. and I was at middle school. There was a music teacher called Mr. Porter, you know. Um, who, who unfortunately passed away before I could thank him years later. I picked up a guitar and I started to play it and there was no lag time. I picked mm. up this guitar and I just started to play. Mm. Um, it wasn't mm. that I needed lessons or anything. I could just yeah. play the damn thing and it was weird. Mm. And every break time, you know, I started kind of <laughs> negating my friends and just playing guitar. Um, and I loved it. And um, one day it was the six week holiday and I was like, really want to play guitar and he he said look you know I want you to take it home when you take it home so I just played it you know uh, throughout the holidays and then uh, came to bring it back and he said keep it <laughs> and and he was such a kind teacher but he he gave me my first guitar mm. and at the age of 13 I did my first gig uh, I played with uh, a band and uh, and then I ended up being in the county show band and uh, various jazz groups. And I was completely self-taught, which, you know, wow. was, was crazy because I remember the head of the music department seeing me just just play on this, this electric when I'd gone to upper school. And he said, you know, I need you to be, you, you should join the... Um, the high school jazz band and shit and swing band, you know, all these different musicians yeah. with years of experience and tuition and uh, all the rest wow. of it. And I remember stood there with this sheet music in front of me. Um, <laughs> uh, never, you know, couldn't read music. And then you go one and a two and a, you know, and it's quick, you know, it's a huge, like fast paced jazz, jazz song. And, and I was sat there <laughs> and I was like, you know, playing this guitar. And fortunately, I had a good ear, so I could hear where the music was going and knew where to make the sounds on the guitar to, to kind of predict where these chord progressions were moving to. And I, could always, I was watching the bass player as well, watching where he was going to move his fingers um, and kind of kept up for a while. And then there were some solo pieces and it was just notation, just manuscript. Okay. And then I was like, oh, no. Um, and then uh, I realised I needed to learn how to um, sight read. So okay. I told myself how to sight read at the age of 14, 15. And then we started touring as a swing band. Yeah. Um, and then my my own band started to do really well. I was hired for gigs around the country, ended up touring Europe. I played the Nuno, uh, Blue Note Jazz Tour across, uh, across wow. Poland and Got a huge, I had my huge online following in uh, <laughs> in Japan and Eastern Europe. It was crazy. It was, it was written up in newspapers and music magazines. I always knew you played guitar. I, you know, I know you're a bit of a musician. We've talked about it before. I didn't realise it too. It was this, this extent. So I'll be sending my kids your way at some point, I think. <laughs> it, was, it was a career. When I was 18, I was, um, uh, could you say, spotted or sighted by uh, Jamiroquai's vocal coach. Who um, a guy called Rachel who wanted to sign us to a certain record company, and then we, we you know, I went from record company to record company. Mm. Most of them are terrible, and I had some really crazy experiences mm -hmm. to discuss at another time. Um, but then decided, you know, the music 
chemistry wasn't really funny. Just you talking about this, it's uh, shown me that you've got a lot more successes to talk about than I first imagined. So, uh, no, that's that's brilliant. But but tell me one thing though. I mean, I suppose this is the topic of the podcast. Having encapsulated all that, done all of that, all that experience, like you said, you've learned some lessons along the way. You know, good stuff, bad stuff. What would you say are the three key mental attributes that you've taken from all of that experience that you are now applying into Mantra Media? Passion is key. You have to be passionate about what you're doing. Sometimes you have to do some stuff you don't you don't want to do. You know, I'm, I'm not administration minded that's that's kind of not my thing but because i'm a creative at heart mm. i think you need passion and you need purpose you need to find purpose in what you do mm-hmm. um the two are uh inexcus- uh, you know they're completely connected so i think you have to live your purpose and i feel my purpose is to create positive impact on the world by developing communications that Mm. move society forward that comes from living your values um following your purpose is about i'm doing what i'm built to do okay uh and and passion either comes before or after that or alongside it i think the third key is resilience Mm. and uh, it's you know it's turned into a bit of a buzzword now but that mantra it's been one of our key values uh from day one is resilience because we knew that we would come up to a lot of barriers Mm. a lot of people still don't understand our business um because we communicate at a very kind of high level um a lot you know we're perceived to be a, a luxury brand and um Whilst our aesthetics could be aligned to being, you know, very, very luxury focused, actually we work and support everyone. And we do, you know, huge amounts in the the third sector and governmental sectors as well as the private sector, knowing that some people just wouldn't get it or some people wouldn't understand that a lot of our stuff is relationship focused. So we we turn prospects away. And even throughout lockdown, you know, there's been certain businesses that wanted to work with us. And we just said no. Mm. Um, and we said no because the way they operate didn't meet our values. And in, in my field, in marketing, that's really, really rare. Yeah, it's important, though, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm very similar. And this is something I learned. I remember when I got into coaching, it was a case of, you know, it's a business. So you think you'll take anybody. However, it's after having, you know, some of the bad experiences with the clients that you realize that don't really fit in with you. And they were not expensive mistakes, but you realize actually that was a bit of a waste of time. And it's made me learn that actually I've got to be very careful with who I pick. And there has been times I've had to turn away clients, paying clients, and either send them to another coach that they may be better suited to or or possibly down a therapy line. Um, but, But yeah, I can understand that. Values are important. I guess that comes with experience. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it, it, it depends how uh, introspective you are. I mean, I've been fundamentally introspective from being a child. Um, I, I have memories of being, <laughs> being a child and, and having thoughts about my own existence, um, and uh, which is really bizarre. Uh, but the more introspective you are and self-aware, the more you kind of know what you need. Mm. um and also what you need to do to to get what you need and 
it's got to be in your values. I mean, we're both relationship focused rather than transaction focused in the way that we yeah. operate. Um, and you have to do that because, I mean, you've had an, an incredible amount of success in your career. And what what was obvious to me from when we first first met years ago was that um, that we were the same in our in our, our way of actually I need a relationship with you rather than just mm. a transaction because mm -hmm. that's what gives me purpose and fulfillment and is aligned to in aligned to our values. Of course, of course, and that's it. And I think that's why first and foremost I see people as people rather than businesses or opportunities and and this is the strange thing it's like i've learned more about you today in terms of like work and business because essentially we don't really talk work or shop do we when we meet I you know? <laughs> so and this well, that, well that's the good thing i suppose and I, I think you know and even some of my closest friends we don't talk about work or we don't talk about i mean i couldn't even tell you what they do day to day a lot of my close friends because it's not important. It's it's the relationship side that's more important, I think. And uh, I think that uh, that's a good thing. So when people do say to me, "How come you know? How come you don't know what so and so does?" I'm like, "Because it's not important. It's not important for me, or it's not important enough for her or him to tell me." So I think that's quite key. Um, so yeah, I think passion, purpose, resilience. I think very much resonate with all of those. Um, yeah, in somewhere or other, I definitely use those, and especially resilience right now going through what everybody's going through. So I think that's key. Johnny, I just want to say thank you very much for your time again. I think it's been invaluable, some insights there, and I'm really hoping people take some inspiration and motivation from the words that you spoke about today. Thank you, mate. And um, I, I massively appreciate it. Uh, anytime we get to speak is, is always a joy. That was Johnny Pollock of Mantra Media and Atelier Japan. Fascinating insights on being driven from a very young age, to start businesses, working, following a passion for music, and finally settling on running his own branding and marketing business. Johnny spoke with so much passion about his music, makes me think that it's something that he should have pursued further, maybe. I think many of us do that, don't we? We have all these dreams and aspirations, and the next thing we know, life's passed us by and we're doing something completely different. I must admit, when I was younger, I had aspirations and dreams to become a pilot, possibly an astronaut, and I guess I never really followed through with those. And I look back and I think, why not? I think I made excuses. I was too short, my eyesight wasn't very good, and different expectations from my parents. I guess I could say that maybe the environment wasn't supportive of me heading down the direction that I wanted to go. Thinking back, I used to love astronomy. I remember reading Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time as a young teenager, and being fascinated by the nature of our universe. Sometimes I do think when I look up at the stars and the moon, what might have been. I remember that I seriously considered doing a degree in astrophysics, but then decided against it for some reason. I'm sitting here just wondering what could have been, and I haven't done that in a while. I guess when you speak with somebody like Johnny with so much passion and purpose, I think it takes you back and makes you reflect on what could have been. Thankfully, I know my passion and my purpose is my coaching right now. However, I do still think about astronomy and flying with a great fondness. And it is as a life coach I help so many people realise their own purpose, taking them back to their youth and making them remember what it is that they used to enjoy and had a passion for. And if this is something that might interest you, please do reach out to me. You can contact me through my website on www.theclearcoach.com where I offer a complimentary coaching call for you to figure out what it is that you want to do. Considering Johnny was a part of a jazz band, I only thought it appropriate to finish off today's podcast with a scene from the movie Whiplash. 
In this scene towards the end of the movie, the former conductor Fletcher is talking to Andrew about not settling for mediocrity and how one needs to be wary of accepting praise that might actually not be too good for you. It's about being pushed to succeed and to not be discouraged to achieve your success. Truth is, I don't think people understood what it was I was doing at Schaefer. I wasn't there to conduct. Any fucking moron can wave his arms and keep people in tempo. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. Otherwise, we're depriving the world of the next Louis Armstrong, the next Charlie Parker. I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. Exactly. Parker's a young kid, pretty good on the sax. Gets up to play at a cutting session, and he fucks it up. And Jones nearly decapitates him for it. And he's laughed off stage. Cries himself to sleep that night. But the next morning, what does he do? He practices. And he practices and he practices with one goal in mind, never to be laughed at again. And a year later, he goes back to the Reno and he steps up on that stage and he plays the best motherfucking solo the world has ever heard. So imagine if Jones had just said, well, that's okay, Charlie. I, that was all right, good job. And Charlie thinks to himself, well, shit, I did do a pretty good job. End of story. No bird. That to me is an absolute tragedy. But that's just what the world wants now. People wonder why jazz is dying. I tell you, man, and every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point, really. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. But is there a line? You know, maybe you go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker? No, man, no. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, The Clear Coach.